inspiring leaders. Selling slack, selling, selling slack. Selling slack, selling, selling slack. Selling slack, selling, selling slack. Memento, buying the block back. Selling slack, selling, selling slack. Selling slack, selling, selling slack. Selling slack, selling, selling slack. Memento, buying the block back. Visiting in Atlanta, I would go from one spacious home to another, lunching in bridge during the day, parties at night. Or we would visit the Lincoln Country Club, the Negro's private club with its own little golf course. Or we would take the children to visit our alma maters and the other surrounding Negro universities, stroll on the beautiful campuses, listen to a lecture, attend a university player's production, walk through the library. How I wished my children could live there, go to school there. How beautiful it seemed, Atlanta, with its ermine-trimmed, diamond-studded, velvety cloak of segregation. How beautiful it seemed as I turned my back upon it and headed west. Bill went first on a short trip for business and to find us a home. And here was the first indication that the cloak was gone forever. He tells a rollicking tale of his experiences in a white hotel, served by white bellboys and white waiters, and his searching desperately through the hotel for a black face to direct him to the colored section of town. He even wandered to the kitchen where he was promptly ejected, but not until he had discovered that the cooks were white too, or at least Mexican, or Oriental. And when he finally cornered a Negro at the base who had transferred out before him, he learned the astounding truth. There was no colored section. The cloak was gone. But the truth that was left with him left him rather naked, for he desperately needed a colored section. The housing official at the base had found houses for his white colleagues with little or no difficulty. Brand new, better than average, tracked homes with an executive air, boasting of built-in modern appliances and situated near the air base where they worked. And for about $250 down. But for Bill, nothing. Bill set out on his own. We had not planned to buy. Hospitals and doctors, for all their kindness, had left us rather broke. But renting, he soon found, was an impossibility. As if being colored weren't enough, he also had four children and a dog. He traveled with the real estate man to outlandish impossibilities, looked through the newspaper ads, lingered longingly over the three-bedroom, two-bath contemporaries complete with modern electric kitchens, dishwashers, and garbage disposals that could be handled with a very small down payment. After several rebuffs, he began to look for the unrestricted notation and to rely on the real estate man to direct him to where they would sell to colored. And more often than not, the house was in an old section that whites were gradually abandoning for the newer suburban tract houses. They would sell to a Negro because they could sell to no one else. No one for whom the new suburban houses were also available. 
Usually, the price they asked more than covered the brand new house they would purchase. Eventually, Bill found one. Not too bad, he assured me, glancing at me anxiously. They will sell it on contract for $1,000 down. We borrowed the money on the car for the down payment and headed west. Sacramento, California. How green, how clean, how wonderful. Welcome to 97.5 FM, KDEE Selling Sacramento. I am Agent Key, and you just heard an excerpt from the book, When We Were Colored, A Mother's Story, written by Eva Rutland. Today, I have two very special guests, the daughter of Miss Eva Rutland, Ginger Rutland, and Sacramento historian, William Berg. There is an adaptation of this book that is in the form of a play entitled When We Were Colored, A Mother's Story, and it is playing at the Guild Theater beginning Friday, Miss Eva? I mean, Miss Ginger? <laughs> Friday, Valentine's Day, Friday, uh, February 14th. It begins at the Guild Theater at 7 o'clock. Or, no, it's 8 o'clock. Friday, it's 8 o'clock. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Friday at 8. And we have all of the information about the play, the, the tickets, which are on sale right now at www.seetheplay.tix.com. And I have to spell this out for you because C is actually the letter C. www. Now, I don't have a dot in here. Is there supposed to be a dot? No. www.ctheplay.tix.com. WWC stands for When We Were Colored. Oh, it's not World Wide Web. No. Okay, so now you won't forget that. It is www.ctheplay.tix.com. So WWC as in When We Were Colored, theplay.tix.com. Did I get that right? You got she it gave right. Me the thumbs thank up. You. She gave thank me you very the much. Up. Yes. We're trying to get as many people in, in the theater as possible. So tell us a little bit about this because this isn't the first time. This this play is starting Friday. Right. And it's running through the month. Right. It's will uh it will run for an incomplete month. It closes on March the fourteenth. Starts February fourteenth, closes March fourteenth. And tell us about the play in general. What is the play about? The play is about a middle-class black family that comes to Sacramento in 1952. Mm -hmm. And what happens to them? Mm -hmm. What is it like to be the first black family in an all-white neighborhood? Mm -hmm. What is it like to be the only little colored girl in your third grade class? Mm. What is it like when your husband goes with his colleagues into a restaurant somewhere in actually it was Colorado and the waitress says to him in front of all of his white colleagues I'm sorry I can't serve you Mm. so it's the story of us Mm -hmm. of what happens to us at a you know ordinary black people in an extraordinary time Mm -hmm. in America right and your mother is the author of this book Right. What do you think prompted her to write the book? My mother 
wrote all of her life. She wrote stories for magazines, for Ladies Home Journal, for Red Book, for ladies' magazines. And her audience, she thought at the time, were white mothers. Mm -hmm. And she had a message for them. Mm -hmm. She wanted to tell them that my children are just as precious Mm -hmm. and just as fragile as yours. Mm -hmm. Please be kind to them. Mm-hmm. So that's the sort of the message of the story. And, she, and it's a series of vignettes about being colored in Sacramento mm-hmm. in the 50s and 60s. Like the one you just read was about how difficult it was to buy a home mm-hmm. in yeah. a decent neighborhood. And then also in that, in that writing, I felt that there was such a, um, a training, a mental training. And then to go from one part of a country where we're all... United States, but to go from one part to another and have a different experience. The racism hadn't disappeared. It just appeared in a different way. My mother grew up in the segregated South, in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. But for all of the bad things that people think about the Jim Crow South, her life was joyous. Mm -hmm. Her life was church and family and segregated schools, yes, but her teachers believed in her. She went to uh, Spelman College. Mm -hmm. Her mother had gone to Atlanta University. Her father was a pharmacist. So she actually lived a rather upper elitist black life in Mm -hmm. Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And she was very happy there. Mm -hmm. And she was terrified that she was bringing her children to so-called integrated Sacramento, Mm -hmm. integrated California. But it wasn't really integrated and she was afraid that the white teachers the white principals the white people they encountered her children encountered wouldn't be kind to her them Mm -hmm. as she had you know she'd been respected she'd been coddled she'd been cherished Mm -hmm. in her own community in the segregated south and she was afraid that was not going to be the experience of her children and so during this play, we will find out what the experience actually was. Yes, right? we will. Yes. So if you want to see this play, you've got to go and see it. I plan to go and see it. You can go and get tickets online at www.ctheplay.tix.com. And remember, www does not stand for World Wide Web. <laughs> it is for When We Were Colored, the play. .tix.com. And I will have that link on our Facebook page, Selling Sacramento on the radio. So if you don't get it on here, you can definitely get it there. Um, or you can call into the station, 921-5333, Hold your calls because we're going to be taking a break and we're going to come back. And when we come back, I'm going to introduce to you all my second guests guest Mr. William Berg and we're going to talk a little bit more in honor of Black History Month about the history of Black Sacramento and its real estate and its and the role that African Americans played in founding the city of Sacramento. So you're listening to 97.5 FM KDEE. I am Agent Key and we are selling Sacramento.
engaging into your relationship after damage has been done. Empowering, educating, educating, and encouraging sisters everywhere. This is Today's Black Woman with Jennifer Kent. It's hard to admit when you've wounded your man. And then trying to re-engage, that's even more difficult. I know it, but if the relationship is worth keeping... It's worth trying. It's worth going for, ladies. Once we've cut him down time and time again and not listened to him and ordered him around and wounded him with our sarcasm, we've got to somehow remember that re-engaging is going to take time and we've got to reassure him that we are making things better. Hear me. He's not going to believe you for a while. So re-engaging is simply demonstrating day after day with your behavior over a long period of time that you are changing. It's going to require learning new ways of communicating and relating. This is Today's Black Woman. I'm Jennifer Kitt. Selling slack, selling, selling slack. Selling slack, selling, selling slack. Selling slack, selling, selling slack. Romento, buying the block back. Hey everyone, welcome back to 97.5 FM KDEE. I am Agent Key and you are listening to Selling Sacramento. We just talked about the play that starts on this Friday and it's entitled When We Were Colored, A Mother's Story. And I have in the studio as my guest today, Miss Eva Rutland's daughter, Miss Ginger Rutland. Eva Rutland is the author of the book, and Ginger has adapted a play from her mother's book, and it is an awesome story that tells of a mother's love for her children, the things that they went through coming from the South, not only to California, but right here to Sacramento, California. I think it's such an awesome story because it takes us back to a time in a place that it really wasn't very long ago. No, it wasn't long ago. I, you know, I part of the the story is about tensions between older blacks and younger blacks during the civil rights era. So that there's a scene in the play where my character Ginger is arguing with her parents about the Vietnam War, about who's going to, you know, whether we should support Johnson or support Bobby Kennedy for real, you know, for election about, you know, and then there, it's a, it, it blows how, up how into us. How old was a, your character in that? She's, you know, a sophomore, you know, sophomoric. Okay. And, she, and she's got an afro that is so big, she can hardly get through the door. Right. And her father is Angela saying, Davis what? Style. Yeah, I was. <laughs> but again, and my, her father is saying, Honey, what, what is that, right? Why are you, yeah. what's that fork in your head that you're using to uglify your hair? You know. right. So it was those kinds of conversations, which if you're black in America and you're my age and you went through the 60s, you remember. Yeah, and th- that's just, it's startling to me because I don't think that our sophomores mm-hmm. in general mm-hmm. are thinking that way right now. We're talking oh, I about don't high know. school sophomores. No, no, I was I was in college. Was this a college sophomore? Yeah, I was at Howard. Okay. And I was at okay, Howard. that makes sense. I was at Howard. Sophomore. No, I was at Howard when when Martin Luther King was assassinated. Okay. I was at Howard when um, the, the, the Washington D.C. was mm-hmm. had a huge riot after mm-hmm. the the um, King's assassination. Mm-hmm. The I mean, this country looked like it was about to head into some sort of revolution. There were some very epic, iconic events right. that occurred during your life at that time. And my and my 
father and I and my mother were, you know, chafing. You know, we mm-hmm. we argued about those things. And it's, what do you? What were the? What were the? What was the clashing about? Were they trying? What well, were they trying to be? And what were you trying to convince? Well, them? I was telling you know I was telling them you know you can't say colored anymore. You have to say black, 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 and and you can't. You know, you you. You, you 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 guys are Uncle Tom, right? <laughs> and I was, you said that yes, to your parents? Yes, yes. And I you're mean, still alive? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wow. So at any rate, so they were feeling, in fact, my mother was so offended by all of that. She wrote her own book. It was never published, but it was called In Defense of Uncle Tom, right? Wow. And, her, and, the, and, the, and the theme was that, you know, all of these, black men especially who had bowed and scraped and sort of minded their p's and q's did that so that i could grow this big afro and go mm-hmm. to college and, and right and and scream and holler and all right. that sort of thing so she wrote this very you know i thought smart story about that era right. which was it was a clash. Be, you know, the white folks were having the same sorts of clashes. Mm-hmm. The kids were wearing their right. hair their long and they were wearing also. tie-dyes mm-hmm. and it was free love and mm-hmm. the hippies and all of that stuff. And the black kids were into black power and mm-hmm. huge afros and Africa was being, you know, throwing off its colonial masters. Mm-hmm. And it looked, you know, and it looked like a revolution was coming. It's amazing how... Um just like decades go by and then change is very you know from one decade to the next you can really see some huge things changing in the 1900s um sacramento in the 1900s i want to read a little bit about sacramento downtown in the 1900s early 1900s in the 1940s sacramento's west end was filled with the sounds of jazz Based around M Street, renamed Capitol Avenue by 1940, the neighborhood was radically changed by the start of World War II. The forced relocation of Sacramento's thousands of Japanese Americans to internment camps and a migration of African Americans to Sacramento. Many of these migrants came from the southern states for jobs in Sacramento's railroad shops and canneries or at nearby airfields and army bases. Some purchased businesses from the departing Japanese, opening a variety of businesses, but the best known were the jazz clubs. These clubs became so popular, they crossed racial barriers and made Sacramento a stop on the touring circuit for the greatest jazz musicians of the 20th century. Sacramento already had jazz clubs dating back to the ragtime era. Ansel Hoffman's saloons and restaurants dominated K Street through the 1920s, and Japantown had its own jazz bands and venues dominated by the Nighthawks and the M Street Cafe. The African-American-owned Eureka Club on 4th and K was considered one of the biggest nightclubs in Northern California, reputable enough for inclusion in Sacramento in a Sacramento guidebook aimed at tourists attending the 1939 California Centennial. But racial lines were difficult to cross in Sacramento, even if segregation was de facto, more by tradition than by force of law. New arrivals from the South, where segregation was statute law, felt less restricted, and the 1940s saw Sacramento's first black doctors, morticians, policemen, attorneys, and other professionals, and nightclub owners. And that is going to lead me to introduce you all to our next guest, 
Mr. William Berg. He wrote that, you all. He is our official, officially unofficial official? Unofficial. (laughs) Sacramento historian. There are a lot of people in Sacramento that have um, a lot of this information, and William is one of those people. And I appreciate you being here today. And this just, it all, it all ties in the, the theme over Black History Month, the theme of Black History Month, remembering where we came from to understand where we're, where we're going and more specifically where we came from right here in Sacramento. Because we often celebrate Black History Month as a whole, united the world, you know, Africa, the United States. But it's important that we know right here in Sacramento the black history, what what happened, who did it, why they did it, why we are where we are. And I think that's important from a real estate perspective because it helps us better understand where we are financially, how we're positioned financially, so that we can have the courage to make the changes we need to change, make the changes we need to make to improve. So, William, what was I just reading from? You were reading from an article that I wrote for Midtown Monthly, and that became part of a book I wrote called Sacramento's K Street, which Mm -hmm. was the in a lot of ways, Sacramento's origin story. Mm-hmm. And black history in Sacramento goes back to the gold rush, uh, actually before California was part of the United States. People like Jim Beth- Beckworth, the Pathfinder, and William Liedersdorf, who is the, really the father of California agriculture, were here. Mm-hmm. But with the birth of Sacramento and its its creation as a, as a state of the union meant that it was very involved with the politics of the area, the politics of section, north and south. And they were the, at the time, the assumption was that states would come in two at, the, uh, two at a time, one free, one slave. The mm-hmm. fact that California came in as a free state tipped the balance of power. And there was a lot of, uh, there was efforts at that point to create two states. Mm-hmm. And um, with the, the, the free state, uh, if you could call it that, would be whites only. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we <laughs> ended up with was a, a black population from the very beginning of this city and this state in a very precarious position. There were laws passed by the state that said you couldn't testify in court unless you were white. Right. And, and of course, the there was the issue of slavery and that people could bring slaves and keep them in Sacramento, in California, if they were just passing through. But mm-hmm. if they stopped to settle, then they would had to be uh, manumitted, had to be freed. And there were court cases, mm-hmm. such as the case of Archie Lee that happened here, that uh, the local black community got very involved with. There were a series of statewide conventions that were hosted by Sacramento churches, mm-hmm. St. Andrews and African Methodist Episcopal being the most prominent of that era. Mm-hmm. And that this was the beginning of small but effective political organizations that actually included later on, after the Civil War, military organizations. A century before the Black Panther Party, we had a black militia in Sacramento called the Sacramento Zouaves, wow. who marched with other community militia organizations. They were also a political organization. Okay. But uh, you came in, you asked me to talk about Sacramento Renaissance, yes. which is the, yes. that's the book that came after K Street, because the story of K Street and the story of downtown was that Downtown was built, and it had this extraordinary, diverse population that were cast out about 
10 to 20,000 people in the 1950s and 60s. Mm-hmm. And the question remained, where did they go and what did they do? So before you talk about where they went, why were they cast out? What were they doing before they got cast out and they, why were they cast they out? They were living in uh, what people would describe now as a walkable, transit-oriented, extraordinarily diverse, mixed-use neighborhood with a wide variety of entertainment options mm-hmm. and and close proximity to jobs. And if, we're talking about now what is now known as downtown Sacramento. Basically, for the Capitol Mall, mm-hmm. from the Sutter Club to the river, there's a whole area where there's really nothing older than about 1950 except for three white men's houses. Mm-hmm. And that destroyed neighborhood was the West End. That mm-hmm. was our Japantown, much of our Chinatown, the African-American community, mm-hmm. Latino barrio, the Filipino community, all connected together in one neighborhood that mm-hmm. was destroyed by redevelopment and by highway construction and then by what was called the Capital Area Plan in the 1960s. Okay, and so what happened to them? They were scattered. Uh, suppose your house is on fire mm-hmm. and you need to get out now. What are you going to grab? What's most important to you on your way out? You, that's all, that's all you kids. can grab. You don't have much time. <laughs> Just the kids. And if you're a community. Clothes on your back. Mm-hmm. If you're a community, you take what's most important to you that mm-hmm. you can grab. Your churches, businesses, cultural institutions, then take them to new places and unpack them. Mm. In the case of the African-American community, there were a very limited number of places to go because of the same sort of segregation that we've Mm -hmm. talked about. And de facto isn't even the good term for it because there were plenty of actual government regulations enforcing this segregation. So it it was moved to places uh, like Oak Park, North Sacramento and Del Paso Heights, Southside Park, and then start again. And the title Renaissance has a couple of meanings. Number mm-hmm. one, the, the tripling of the population of the African-American community during and after World War II meant that this small but organized community that, that didn't really have the strength to speak out in force suddenly had many more people, including a professional class, mm-hmm. including people with middle class backgrounds and people with, with skills in organizing and promoting. And then the other the other way that Traditional Sacramento history talks about neighborhoods like the West End or the Oak Park after the black migration to it is decline. And what a terrible way to describe the arrival of a community of effectively refugees Mm -hmm. starting a new life. Mm -hmm. But what really happened was an explosion of creativity. Mm -hmm. New businesses took seed. Old businesses were transplanted. Mm -hmm. Uh, Artists and musicians and activists were inspired. And that was a flowering, a rebirth, a renaissance. Mm. And that's and where the title came from. That's that's where the title came from. So you are specifically talking about your two books. You just covered two books. The title of the first one. Well, the title of the, the of Sacramento Renaissance is, is my fifth book. And I, I've written seven so far. Right, right. The, the two, two we're talking about today. Yes. I, I just want to clarify for the listeners who may want to go and get right. the books for more information. The most recent one is called Wicked Sacramento. It's more of individual stories of people and places within the West End. Mm-hmm. And I didn't pick the title, my publisher did, mm-hmm. but the way I interpret it is that the West End was destroyed in part because it was accused of wickedness, of sin. Mm. But the real wickedness, the real sin, was the theft of a neighborhood legacy and the 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 crime of racism. Right. That, and this, this city destroyed a neighborhood and right. wiped it from our public memory in order to have to try to eliminate evidence of that crime. Right. One of the great things about this era 
is that it's there are now very powerful tools that you can use to find documentation, interviews online. Um, some of the like uh, video interviews that Ginger Rutland did in the 1970s with mm-hmm. people in, in uh, people in Oak Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are extraordinary materials, and young people have the skills to get this information and mm-hmm. reveal the truth. Mm-hmm. And your second book, the the one you actually were talking about before, the Sacramento Renaissance. Yes, Sacramento Renaissance. Well, like I said, it was the follow up to case. Street, mm-hmm. and it talks about uh, the the Japanese and Chinese communities. It talks about Latino communities, and uh, and the African American community. And the part of that Renaissance, the civil rights era, is that it inspired others to follow. Um, the so Black civil rights was really the the the, the forerunner, mm-hmm. and it inspired other movements. So it inspired the Chicano movement and mm. the. the United Farm Workers. Mm-hmm. It also, the final chapter is about Lavender Heights, Sacramento's gay and lesbian community, mm-hmm. and how they were inspired again mm-hmm. by the civil rights movement. Yeah. Using, and so learning from those strategies and being inspired by them. And that's really the lesson carrying forward. You talked about we learn from the past in order to guide our future. And I think that anyone can read about the, these stories and be inspired by right. them. Right. Right. Even though they happened to African Americans, and it was a horrible thing that still has not been acknowledged properly, rectified, um, there is a debt that is owed to African Americans. And it is something that, it's one of those things, the way that I look at it, we're at the bottom of the totem pole. And you can't have a whole totem pole and have the bottom be weak. You can't be at the top receiving all the sunlight, the greatness, all the awesome things that life has to offer and the bottom of your foundation not be strong. We are the foundation in a very, in a lot of ways. Great metaphor. Actually, a very good metaphor for Sacramento. I wanted to say about what you talked about. My family left Sacramento about 64, 65. We uh, we went to Europe for a while, and then um, I went to college at Howard. And when I came back, the neighborhood that had been Oak Park was in decline, and the freeways had 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 cut it off mm-hmm. from its more affluent neighbors. So Highway 99 was built, which cut Oak Park off from Curtis Park. Right, and 50 was built, which cut Oak Park off from East Sacramento, and those lines really condemned this neighborhood. Yeah. to decline yeah. in a way that was... And it was intentional. It was and an damaging and bad in every way. And I, it, it was very sad to come back and see 35th which had Street, which had been the um, commercial corridor, all boarded up. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and deliberately done so. Those lines were very deliberately chosen. Mm-hmm. in order to, to become de facto walls. And again, we use the, that de facto as a very fuzzy statement right. uh, that people find new ways to reinforce their prejudices from a position of power. Right. And they can be very subtle or they can be very gross. But and they had the correct. laws supporting them all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah. It was very hard to fight. And you had the powerful voices in this community also supporting them. The Sacramento Bee, I worked there for 25 years. One of the things that the Sacramento Bee supported 
was the um, wiping away of the West End. They called it, you know, urban blight, and mm-hmm. they wanted it gone, and they wanted, and they created that that entry into Sacramento, which is Capitol Avenue, which is devoid of life. It's just, it's, it's devoid of life. It's mm-hmm. devoid of people. It's just a stretch that's rather naked. And but we thought that was hip. That those ugly stone buildings that stretched from what cap the capital all the way to the sacramento river the thing that i like about um the book the the excerpt that i read from your book earlier was that it went on to talk about and you'll have to get the book to read it to know what else is in there but it goes on to talk about in detail the different nightclubs and the different businesses that were thriving in the downtown area during this time. And uh, William, you even emailed me some documents of, of a newspaper called California. Yes, it That was, was awesome. Yeah, that was a, an interesting magazine. I think it only lasted about a year or two, but it was essentially uh, like a African-American interest version of Sunset Magazine. Yeah. And every issue profiled a different community to talk about what was going on there, who the the, the large figures in town, the business people. And that that was one of the things that really um, excited me to learn about. The same t- about the same time uh, that I, I met Ginger, interviewing her for my book on Southside Park, I interviewed the pastor of St. Andrew's AME, and he gave me copies of, the, yeah. of this article. And it just blew my mind, because yeah. you don't learn this. If you live in Sacramento, and you grow up here, you essentially learn, well, the, this white guy built a fort, and then mm. this white guy discovered gold. You know that's the truth. Yeah. And then these four white <laughs> we guys We think that John Sutter is just yeah. everything gold in Sacramento. And there, as you said, to use the metaphor you used earlier, that's the top of the totem pole. And there's a whole lot of people holding them up, and without them holding them up, the whole thing would fall. Okay, I just did a high five to William. Y'all didn't see it. It's across the room. <laughs> but he, that is, there are no lies. How do they say that? And he is telling no lies and um, I'm trying to find this information that he sent me because I want to share it with you guys of one of the articles actually I posted something on my page about it uh, but um, I also want to share while I'm looking for it can you talk William a little bit about the um, there was one club in particular not the club the diner the kitchen in Oak Park Okay. In in Oak Park, uh, are you talking about Dunlap's Dining Room? Yes, sir. George Dunlap was an African-American entrepreneur. He started out, uh, he grew up in the West End, actually, and he cooked for his family from a very young age. He all, He really learned how to cook for uh, as a profession working for Southern Pacific. I've got a story about him in my recent book. He actually was arrested for smuggling whiskey from California into Washington while he worked for Southern Pacific. Okay. And the, 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 getting caught for that, he didn't get prosecuted because they, they, they filed the court papers wrong. Mm. But it expedited his departure from Southern Pacific and then he started his own catering and restaurant business. He had his own restaurants on K Street downtown. Mm-hmm. He even ran the restaurant concession for the Sacramento Northern Railroad, which is an interurban that went from Oakland to Sacramento to Chico. Wow. And then his greatest success was Dunlap's Dining Room, mm-hmm. which was in Oak Park. And uh, uh, as a, uh, an adaptation, again, because because in Sacramento, we, we were still dealing with a lot of uh, effective 
segregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dunlap's dining room was generally whites only except one night a week. Mm. But he was able to turn it into a successful business. And it's the first built that that building was, I think, the first one in Oak Park that was listed in the National Register of Historic Places. There are now quite a few others, such as um, Saint, such as Silo Baptist Church. And that information, that's one that I had posted on my page. I really appreciate hearing those kinds of stories because the structure still stands. Yes, it's still there today. And they're using it now. I want to say they um, gave it to the Sacramento Children's Home and just asked that they would make sure that they provided the services to people who lived in Oak Park or that they would use it as a facility for services in Oak Park. I understand that it recently chose to changed hands again, so I oh, don't okay. know what its current use is, but that was until recently its use. Okay. So the exciting part about all of this history is that there's so much that's still there, that if we hear the stories, if we do the research, we can literally go and see these places and spaces. And uh, that's actually one thing that I, I'm going to be presenting an event in a couple of weeks, if you don't mind. Tell us. Go ahead. On February 29th at... 10 a.m. at First Baptist Church at 2324 L Street. We're holding an event called the Preservation Roundtable. It's it's put on by Preservation Sacramento, and we're going to talk about what we know and what we don't know about historic properties associated with African-American history. There are a few places wow. that we know about, like Dunlap's Dining Room, mm-hmm. like Shiloh Baptist Church. There are some projects underway right now to nominate the um, the homes of, um, of James uh, Dodd, the architect who designed Shiloh Baptist Church, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> getting a hurrah over it, here. And I went to I went to school with his daughter, yes. Florinda Dodd. I I know James Dodd, yeah. and the home of Nathaniel Colley. Yes, and Nathaniel Colley, and I went yeah. to school with his children too. We were contemporaries, and who was Nathaniel yeah. Colley? Nathaniel Colley was a, a crusading civil rights attorney who uh, was instrumental in uh, integrating New Helvetia, okay. another historic, actually a historic district listed in the National Register. Wow. So that's another property. But there are many more we don't know about. And so part of the challenge is trying to make out this erased history. And so we very much depend on the community and connecting it. with the community in order to, for them to tell the city of Sacramento to, to tell local historic preservation organizations where the places are and where the associations are. Can you tell us again the date and time of that meeting? The date and time is Saturday, February 29th mm-hmm. at 10 a.m. at First Baptist Church, 2324 L Street in okay. Midtown Sacramento. 2324 L. And, and it's, the, it's called the Cultural Roundtable? It's called the Preservation Roundtable. Preservation. There are details at preservationsacramento.org. Okay, roundtable. And so if anyone wants more information about your books, where to find your books, uh, all the information that you know, how do they get a hold of you? I'd recommend they get in touch with Preservation Sacramento at preservationsacramento at gmail.com. Preservationsacramento at gmail.com. So I'll make this information available on my page as well. And Miss Ginger, one more time with the play, How to Get Tickets at... I'll let you say it. <laughs> www.seetheplay.tix.com. One more time. www.seetheplay.tix.com. And www.c stands for when we were colored. Theplay.com. It's not the World Wide Web. <laughs> okay. Thank you for letting people know that. <laughs> Good. Good. I'm excited about that play. And um, I'm excited about this information. And I am um, glad that you both were able to be here today. 
I think we are headed toward another. I just see. I'm just getting the flow of it. I just feel like the break is coming on. Thank you. My engineer just gave me another star. I love the stars. And we are going to be back after this break. You're listening to 97.5 FM KDEE. I am Agent Key, and we are selling Sacramento. about being thankful but not in the traditional sense empowering educating educating and encouraging sisters everywhere this is today's black woman with jennifer Kent. are you thankful for your current financial situation when i look at where my finances are today compared to where they were just a year ago thankful is not the word i would use to describe how i feel what about you But as I've been digesting my current financial state, I realize I'm asking questions I wouldn't have asked if things were still status quo. I'm pushing to discover more revenue streams and sources of income. I'm rethinking how much it actually takes to live, and I'm opening what I do have more to give to others. So really, had not life taken the turn that it did for me financially, a lot of good attitudes and behaviors that I'm developing wouldn't have come to the surface. I guess I am thankful. Listen whenever you want on the web, todaysblackwomanradio.com. This is Today's Black Woman. I'm Jennifer Kitt. Selling slack, selling, selling slack. Selling slack, selling, selling slack. Selling slack, selling, selling slack. Romento, buying the block back. Hey everyone, we are back. You're listening to 97.5 FM KDEE. I'm Agent Key and we're selling Sacramento in honor of Black History Month. I have with me two special guests. If you've been listening to the show, we are wrapping up the back of the show. We're wrapping up the end of the show. Uh, Miss Ginger Rutland and Mr. William Berg. And Ginger is 
um, reproducing right. a play based on a book that her mother wrote, or she's producing a play based on the book that her mother wrote called When We Were Colored, A Mother's Story. Right. And it is showing this Friday at the Guild Theater and running through the rest of the month. If you would like tickets, go to When We Were Colored, WWWC. So WWWC. The play. The play. Dot ticks. Dot com. Okay. I'm sorry for throwing y'all off. I, that just. Yeah. WWWC. The play. Dot ticks. Dot com. I'm going to get with Ginger later and we're going to go over another marketing plan for that <laughs> URL. <laughs> we got to make that easier yeah, for the I people. I know. I know. Tell me about it. I've gotten a few calls. <laughs> Is there a number that people could reach you at? Would you mind giving them that number? Uh, they Did can call me at 916-284-3388 if they have difficulty, 916-284-3388. You can also call tix.com at 800-595-4849. Now, how much are the tickets? The ticket. Oh, we okay. can't tell can't you say that. that. Oh, sorry. But All they're right. reasonable. <laughs> we got stopped real quick. So I do have to say, I was at the Guild Theater the other day, and your niece, tell us her name. Chelsea Carbaugh Rutland. Chelsea Rutland, my brother's daughter. She's playing Ginger in the play. No, and she's playing, playing my your mother. mother in the play. And she's the spitting image of... Of your mother. It's so crazy. I know. It is. It, it, it really makes my heart go patter, 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 patter to see my niece, Chelsea, who's a very beautiful young beautiful woman. Beautiful young lady. Playing my mother, who was a very beautiful young woman. And to see her on the stage being her grandmother. Yes. My mother is... That's an that awesome are, legacy. For yeah, her my to family have. Is, is very excited. And about. The, image, the imagery of the set on stage is very very nice i don't want to reveal too much but a lot of it is is so nostalgic and it's just so fitting i'm excited for it and thank you for doing the adaptation of your mom's book thank you i hope you have so much success on that and mr berg boy you are just a slew of information the thing that i really appreciate most about william everyone william is a white man William is sitting in front of me, a white man, and he is super neutral. And I don't mean neutral in a way like like he's not, he won't. He says what needs to be said. So maybe neutral is not really the right word. I like to think of it as uh, I like to listen. And I've listened to people like Ginger Rutland and tried to respond with uh, my interpretation. I most definitely have an agenda, mm-hmm. but it's an agenda that I, I like to feel like I want to err on the side of justice and free expression right. and what's right. Yeah. And the truth. Yeah. And it's the truth is often ugly, but yeah. you have, have laid it bare in a way that is so needed. And it's not emotionally driven. It is, it's factual. Like Ginger said, it's the truth. And it's, it's information that needs to be shared. And it's information that, in general, has been uh, attempted to be covered up from us. Because it does show how um, p- 
powerful and strong and determined and the, the ingenuity of a people who systematically have been oppressed for hundreds of years. And it's showing wherever we get planted, we, we sprout back up. Wherever you throw us, we sprout back up, you know. And so I, I appreciate being able to view that because sometimes you look at your situation where you are right now and you feel hopeless. But it's always those times that you remember, there was another time that I felt a little hopeless, but I overcame that. And so for us as a people, as African Americans, if we are feeling any sense of hopelessness when we see the uh, statistics that show us at the bottom of all the positive polls and show us at the top of all the negative polls, it's books like Williams that we need to refer back to. It's, it's plays that Miss Ginger is writing and others like her that we need to refer back to. Our history, our, our ingenuity, our strength, our brilliance, our resilience, it's there. It's there. And that also brings me to the homeownership conference that we're having, the Anchor Homeownership Academy Conference. And it's at the end of this month. It's the 28th and the 29th of this month. And not only is it for homeownership preparedness, but it focuses on four aspects. Credit restoration, home down payment assistance options, being debt-free, learning how to live a debt-free life, and also beginning investing. And these are four areas that we as a people need to lean into, and it needs to become a regular part of our dialogue, a regular part of our conversation, investing, generational wealth, how to look down the road 20 years from now, 30 years from now, where do you see yourself financially? We don't want to live any longer paycheck to paycheck. We already know that as a people, African-Americans are the world's number one spenders and consumers. We don't want that title. <laughs> we don't want that title anymore. We want to have conversations with our girlfriends and our guy friends about what stocks we've invested in, you know, how PG&E went down to $3.50 and now it's 17 or $18. Oh, my gosh, I was so mad to find that out because I didn't buy it at $3.50. <laughs> but, you know, information like that, that's the kind of information that this conference is going to bring to you, that it will equip you with. We've got some awesome speakers. The keynote speaker for the day for our Saturday, it's a two-day conference, Friday the 28th, Saturday the 29th. The keynote speaker for the conference on Saturday is the California Black Chamber of Commerce's CEO and President, Mr. Jay King. You hear him here throughout the week, and he will be speaking to you and pouring into you the same way he does when you hear him on the air. And the entire two days is an opportunity for you to invest in yourself, reposition yourself, get get yourself ready for the future. Do we have time to take a call? Quickly. Oh, quickly. We'll answer it. 97.5. Yes. Uh, is the station manager available? Um, you need to call the office. And I don't have that number with me, but you are actually okay. on the air live. <laughs> oh, oh, I apologize. Uh -huh. um, Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>
Oh my gosh. <laughs> we need a call screener. Oh my gosh. All right. Don't call the number if you're not calling to talk on the show. Um, so anyway, if you want tickets to Anchor Homeownership Academy, the conference today, um, the two-day conference, you want to go to myanchoronline.com, myanchoronline.com. If you Google My Anchor Online, the website will come up. If you go to Facebook and type in My Anchor Online or Anchor Homeownership Academy, the registration will come up. If you want to email me and you have questions about it, email me at myanchoronline at gmail.com, myanchoronline at gmail.com. And again, this is an opportunity for you to get anchored. Just remember that. An anchor is a symbol of something that steadies you, that once you hold on to it, once you get it, it's hard to move you around. It's hard to be pushed when, when the winds blow, when the storms get heavy, you are anchored. So you come to this two-day event, February 28th and 29th, and get ready. Things are changing. The market is changing. The country is changing. The tone is changing. Finances are changing. But you want to be ready, and this is an opportunity for you to get anchored. Um, William and Miss Ginger, before we leave the air, any last thoughts or questions for our listeners? Come to my play. <laughs> <laughs> I said thoughts or questions, thoughts or comments. It's at yes. the Guild. And one of the reasons it's at the Guild is because there's a renaissance going on in particularly North Oak Park. And I wanted to be a part of that renaissance. Mm-hmm. The Guild is a beautiful building. Mm-hmm. It's been restored. It is state-of-the-art in terms of the acoustics. It is. And it's, it's just a lovely place. It's very And nice. there are restaurants and bakeries and breweries and all kinds of things around it that lots I think... Lots of things to do. Lots of things to do. So please come and see... When we were colored, mm-hmm. a be mother's part story of the Renaissance. at the Guild, yes. and be part of that 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 Renaissance. And speaking of being part of the Renaissance, William, tell us again about the meeting that's coming up. Yes, that's the Preservation Roundtable, February 29th at 10 a.m. at First Baptist Church at 2324 L Street in Midtown Sacramento. Okay, thank you both again so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate you. Everyone, you've been listening to 97.5 FM KDEE. I am Agent Key, and we are selling Sacramento. Hello, my name is Ty Ellis of the Stock.